Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2022's theme is Future Proof. This month's topic is Wellness and Beauty, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. A recent McKinsey report estimated the global wellness market to be currently worth more than 1.5 trillion US dollars, with a growth rate somewhere between 5 to 10%. And while the concept of wellness is not new, the beauty category is getting increasingly crowded. Indeed, this week alone, both Stella McCartney and Kate Moss have launched brands. With that in mind, what will be the winning strategies needed for companies to thrive in the wellness space in the future? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Hello and welcome back to Mallory Huram, Beauty and Wellness Strategist at Fashion Snoops. A warm welcome back to Harold van der Hoven, Product Director, Design and Development at CLR. And welcome to Jane Sterling, Managing Director at Walida UK. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Hello, Siobhan. Hello, everybody. Hello. Mallory, let's start with you. What are the current social drivers fashion snoops have been tracking that are impacting the future-proofing of the wellness and beauty category? So I think we're really seeing, you know, this need for a gentler, kinder routines. You know, life post-pandemic has not been any better stress-wise than life was during the pandemic, maybe a little bit, but we're facing so much stress externally now and consumers are just craving a softer approach to life. They're re-examining their routines and looking for products that are going to nourish their lives and help them gravitate towards quiet moments and comforting products. And so this is really shaping how they're viewing uh, what products they choose and what routines they gravitate towards. There's this desire to get to a more ritualistic side of beauty, and we're seeing this within the slow living movement that's really gained traction. You know, the pandemic saw so many consumers cleaning out their homes and, um, you know, reestablishing new routines. We've seen things like slow travel trickle down into the beauty and wellness space where there are whole slow wellness retreats now. And in terms of product, this is really playing out in a demand for well-crafted, thoughtful products. Consumers really appreciate intention and consideration when it comes to the products they choose to invest in. So brands like Habitual Beauty really embodies this approach. Their products are simply designed and housed in these insightful, soft, um, dependable packaging. Um, And brands like Namesake Skincare, um, for example, take this consideration to the next level with a line of mom-crafted skin products specifically for melanin-rich skin. So really personalized and made with intention and care, speaking to these desires. You know, we're also seeing, of course, the rise of the educated consumer, consumers with all the social media uh, information and whole metaverse of information at their disposal. They are many experts in skincare and beauty and wellness, and they know sometimes as much or in some cases more than some experts. And so they really want products that uh, that are up to their standards. So we're seeing new uh, examples like hair intelligent hair products. Um, of course, hair 
the hair care market, scalp care has been booming for the last um, couple of years. Uh, consumers are becoming more advanced in their hair care routines. So hair intelligent um, scalp care and hair growth products. We know, of course, uh, hair thinning and hair loss has been a huge concern coming out of the pandemic. Also, barrier repair uh, is is an area that we're seeing a ton of product launches in, and that really ties into this uh, concept that consumers have become wise to the importance of the protective skin barrier. And instead of just, you know, assaulting it with every single exfoliating acid known to man, they're thinking, okay, well, let's take a step back. Let's use some barrier repair products. Uh, there was a, about a two or three months stretch where I feel like there were there was a new barrier repair moisturizer launched every day. There was Glossier's After Bomb, Violette Affairs, Cela Cream. Um, there was just one right after the other. And so, uh, and I read um, in the advertising for one of these products, it promises the comfiest skin, which I think speaks to that real consumer need for comfort, for calm, and for ritual um, healing beauty. Again, calm and heal were two words that we tracked throughout the pandemic. And I think this um, intuitive healing approach is really going to help um, you know, ingratiate the beauty and wellness industry to consumers looking uh, going forward and who will really turn to these products in the future as a source of comfort um, and self-care. Interesting. And barrier care, Harold, is that something that CLR are tracking? Uh, we, well, CLR, we are an active ingredients supplier mainly for the skincare industry and skin barrier is the most important uh, factor or concept for for skin as far as we are concerned the skin is a barrier and and uh, i think the consumer also in the context of of, of their need uh, for health you know health is a new wealth and these kinds of things uh, realize that the the barrier of the skin is is an outcome of the skin being healthy um, and that, that is of course something we look at and and work towards and and make making uh, new products which which improve uh, skin barrier even more calmness of the skin soothing of the skin these kinds of focuses we have obviously uh, but i do also want to put this this concept of of well-being uh, also in in the, in the context of of you know what what is the economic situation you know uh, where are we going to in europe without russian ga gas i live in germany and we depend very much on russian gas for instance uh, so i think an economic factor is also needs to be taken into consideration i don't think people will go to spas often more often than they did without the you know within the in the corona times uh, and i think that's that's also something which we will we will probably see further develop in the future uh, things like religion also you know people wearing a hijab and there are many of them all over the world if we, i regularly went before corona to, to indonesia and i hope to go there soon again wellness well-being uh, taking care of yourself is a huge topic in in a country like indonesia and uh, and and that's where women especially obviously have have specific needs and i think that's also something which we will uh, see let's say be more of a focus uh, in the future and for your brand we're leader jane slow beauty is that something you're tracking <laughs> it's funny isn't it yes we are tracking slow beauty um we've been doing it for over a hundred years siobhan so i think we're quite slow um 
one of our best-selling products globally is a product called Skin Food that was created in 1926, which I think that's the ultimate slow beauty product. Um, I've, I have a real hope and wish for the beauty industry. We're very much geared up to new product development, putting new products on the market that we promise you the world, and that's what we go and buy. And yet, if every single one of us is honest and we opened up our cupboards, we have plenty of products to use up. You know, we lots of research tells us we use about 14, um, a minimum of 14 products a day as a woman and um, men are catching up, um, about seven for men. And yet most of the products we don't actually need. So slow beauty, multitasking products. I think the phrase I would use less is more. And what we are seeing is a trading up. So instead of buying multiple products, buying one, but buying it as organic and certified natural um, and being a lot more discerning. So the things that we're seeing is very much about value-based. Um, you know, Harold's already mentioned the crisis that we're in. Um, we need to be demanding more of our products. And one of the great um, things that's happened literally over the last couple of years is how influencer channels, I mean, particularly like TikTok, um, particularly, and we know about celebrity influencers, but, but you know, really thinking about um, makeup artists, um, you know, saying this product really works. So we want a product that really works and we'll go to the experts. And we're starting now, I think, which is a great thing to see through a lot of the greenwashing, a lot of the claims that are being made and looking for real product integrity and third-party certified claims. Mallory, what are the current digital tools fashion snoops have been tracking that are assisting the future-proof of wellness and beauty category? Well, you know, it's interesting. And tech, of course, is one of the most dynamic areas um, and macro trends that we track. Um, it's all, and I feel like we're all just constantly adjusting uh, to this ever-changing world, trying to evolve holistically with the climate, with this new technology, with shifting lifestyles. We uh, labeled a whole beauty shift adaptations to speak to this and how tech is really trying to provide a very niche uh, a, a, a purpose and trying to help us adapt to these changes and to uh, an ever um, unstable world, because that's that's just simply the reality, um, both climate-wise, socially, um, you know, health-wise. And so tech is really trying to come in from where we see it as something that can help and not hinder our human approach. Um, digitization is continuing to change the beauty and wellness landscape. Beauty tech is becoming more intuitive, accessible, and compact, which is super important. We're really seeing an advancement um, in beauty tech from, you know, extremely expensive, you know, out of the range of most uh, consumers and bulky and difficult to use to becoming very handy, accessible. Um, and, you know, we're also seeing tech become more of a normalized part of our routines. It's, it's still uh, it's still moving to the, your average consumer beauty tech, but it is entering areas like oral care or men's grooming that we haven't seen it before. And also fragrance tech um, is transforming our experience of scent. And we think that uh, examples like virtual team members uh, can really help provide guidance and support 
where sometimes humans can't. Of course, there's a huge continuing discussion worldwide, um, especially in the U.S., about shortage of labor. Uh, we saw here care brand Olaplex uh, introduce a new member of their consumer engagement team, a virtual amalgamation of the entire Olaplex team by digitally combining visual and voice data from all their brand representatives and employees. So a super interesting way to help give consumers um, chatting the bot online information or support uh, about the products, um, while also kind of creating this, um, you know, digital uh, amalgamation of their entire brand, which is interesting. We're also seeing tech-improved services that are typically lengthy and unpleasant or require a lot of human skill where tech can provide a more streamlined, efficient experience. Loom um, is such a brand there, have pioneered this digital lash extension technology where it's a robot applying uh, lash extensions. Anyone who's had lash extensions knows it's a very time-consuming process and it can vary widely depending on what lash um, technician you get. Um, some are very expert, some are new. Um, and so this service really combines human experience of a lash consultant with um, AI and cutting edge technology for more consistent, faster results. Um, thus, um, turning tech into something that people actively seek out for a beauty service rather than something they're skeptical of. And of course, we're also seeing biotechnology uh, providing a huge uh, service to the beauty and wellness industry, working to create synthetic, sustainable alternatives to depleted natural resources. I, I think I bought, we've talked more about biotech in the last year than than we have almost my entire time at Fashion Snoops. It's really becoming a hot, dynamic area within beauty and wellness, and for good reason. Biotech um, has the ability to, you know, generate lab-based and lab-grown alternatives to ingredients that we quite simply have um, harvested to depletion or extinction in the wild or ingredients that we may might not have access to uh, due to climate change. Um, and so we're seeing brands really embrace um, synthetic alternatives that are tech and lab-grown, um, you know, to ingredients like palm oil, for example, or squalane. Um, so that's a huge area where tech can help improve. And lastly, uh, looping into this tech for sustainability aspect, I think personalization is a really dynamic tech solution for sustainability and efficiency um, to the point that was said before about how we all have too many products, which is, is certainly tr true. Personalization used to be this kind of, I don't know, um, kind of kitschy technology, wasn't really um, efficient, uh, wasn't really pleasurable to use, but we're seeing personalization tech become kind of a silver bullet approach where consumers can mix their own serum, their own hair care, their own makeup or lipstick shade, thus creating a better outcome and eliminating potential product waste. And so this technology is crucial um, in creating products that consumers will actually use and enjoy rather than just try and throw away. And at CLR Harold, what current digital tools are helping, not hindering the future proofing of wellness and beauty products? Um, what we look at when it comes to well-being uh, and trying to, you know, find proof of the effect of our products, we, we we tend to be very serious about trying to find proof of efficacy of our ingredients. Uh, when it comes to well-being, of course, how do you measure well-being? That's the question we then ask ourselves. How can we measure, you know, how people, how well, how well people feel, uh, their level of wellness? We can use questionnaires, obviously. When, when it comes, but when it comes to digital tools, uh, we're looking at um, 
wearables where you know uh, quality of sleep can be can be measured or a uh, thing we saw just recently with uh, where Philips started working together with a company called Nowatch uh, where they have wearables where they can measure cortisol levels cortisol is a, is a stress hormone uh, plays a negative effect on the body normally when produced in higher amounts which happens when people are stressed that's something we want to lower uh, when people are stressed with with a cosmetic product or uh, more difficult, but we try with an active ingredient from CLR. And that's where we we can look at these technologies and we will look at these technologies in finding proof of the efficacy of our products. When it comes to technologies, biotech uh, was mentioned just now by Mallory and uh, biotech has been one of the key technologies for CLR since the 1970s. So uh, yes, it's new and it fits the trends and, and has always been potent in providing good ingredients for the uh, for the cosmetic industry uh, nowadays this technology obviously is much more powerful than it was in the 70s and uh, when used right biotech is to our opinion the strongest the best the most potent technology to obtain from our point of view at least active ingredients for uh, for skincare and, and scalp care uh, possibly also for hair care and for your brand for leader, Jane, personalization tech, is that something you guys are looking into? Not specifically, um, but I think I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about how we formulate products. So our products are very much focused on the individual and look to activate healing responses within the individual. So a person can use a product and have quite a different response depending on where they are in their wellness journey. So for example, a lot of um, the products that we have in the market, not Willida products, but a, a lot of the products are problem solvers. So things like very dry skin or eczema or atopic skin or um, acne rosacea or acne itself, where the skin itself is not in balance. And what our products do is to take, if you like, to give a picture of health to the skin using healing herbs. So things like orris root, iris root is really good at um, water regulation and, and balancing and harmonizing. So by using a product like that, it gives, it doesn't, um, if you like, cure it in one go, but by using it over time, it helps the body start to regulate the balance and, and water um, content so, so the oil and the water in the skin um, to a point where it becomes a lot more healthy and in that respect I think it's exactly an individualized approach. Um, the other tools that we use are really to do with um, third-party verification and integrity because there's so much greenwashing in the marketplace. You know, How do you really know a product, um, a product claim is true? Because if a brand says it, well, hopefully it is true, but but where is the integrity? So um, what I'm really pleased to say that there's some fantastic apps available where you can scan the, uh, the QR code or the barcode of a product. Um, and these apps, um, the data within them are actually built by consumers themselves by scanning barcodes on products and putting in the inky code, which is a little recipe of all the ingredients on the back of cosmetic products. So something like a Think Dirty app, um, that they're, they're becoming really well known. 
Um, and it's really easy to use on your mobile phone. You're looking at, you know, an array of, say, uh, sun care products. You don't know which one to buy. And very quickly, you can go through them by scanning scanning the barcode. So I think that's fantastic because that's putting the power straight back in the hands of, of us as, as citizens, really. Um, the other thing that we've been doing is looking at um, proof pointing uh, through a system, a, a tech system um, that's been created by a company called Provenance. Um, and Provenance have a system in which you can proof point up to 150 claims. And that might be the fact that you might be vegan or you're supporting um, a living wage. Um, it might be that you've got, say, putting 1% of your turnover to, towards um, good causes and charity and so on. And the system is super simple. It just it's just a plug-in onto a website and provenance build the framework where you can then upload all your evidence to show that you really are working with this charity or you really are planting so many trees um, that your pro products are organic and here is a certification. So what I've seen over certainly the last five years is the use of technology to really enable us as citizens to cut through the crap, to find the really great products, to listen to other people reviewing products. So things like Trustpilot, really great digital review system, whereby it's almost like the TripAdvisor for our industry, whereby we can actually have a voice of people that have used the product. And I'm really, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And then the final thing, um, and maybe this is a kind of whisper from the future, particularly for natural and organic products, is, is the provenance of where the product comes from. Um, I mean, th there, are, there are some ingredients that we use where we can actually tell you which field it came from. Um, that would be fantastic if we could use black blockchain technology so that, again, when we buy a product, we should be able to have the tools at our fingertips to fully um, interrogate the product in terms of what's in it. Is it good for me? Do other people like me recommend it? You know, it, it is the, the nappy cream that I'm going to use on my baby. Does it really work? Um, and so that we can really start to find those products that have and brands that have true integrity. Speaking of provenance, Mallory, what are the current environmental drivers fashion snoops have been tracking that are affecting the future-proofing of the wellness and beauty category? Well, in terms of future-proofing and environmental drivers, certainly the biggest theme we're tracking right now is working to preserve uh, precious resources. Uh, as I've spoken before, there were there are so many ingredients that we're simply harvesting to oblivion, um, you know, and so consumers and brands alike are recognizing that, you know, while solutions like biotech are great, we also need to invest in the health of our planet. Uh, so continuing the soil health conversation, for example, we're seeing a growing focus on farming and the importance of responsible farmers in protecting our environment. Uh, this all ties into this need to regenerate health systems uh, and reduce our consumption. This global farming shift is becoming more planet forward and sustainable as brands are utilizing modern farming techniques and processes for ingredient sourcing. Uh, we saw recently French vertical farming company Jungle partner with Fragrance House Fermanek for the world's first collaboration between a perfume house and a vertical farm. 
where Fermanec will grow and source about 20% of their ingredients. Uh, of course, vertical farming, hydroponics, these are huge, um, you know, trending words within um, farming right now. We're also seeing beauty-specific farms pop up, like Brooklyn Rooftop Botanicals, which is New York City's first and only rooftop beauty farm, which grows and processes over 50 botanicals for beauty product uh, formulation and creation. Of course, that's a smaller brand, but the concept is certainly intriguing. Um, Overall, there's a huge need to connect with the earth and really find that connection with nature, thus establishing an emotional bond with our planet that makes you more invested in its health. And in addition to soil health and regenerative farming, of course, the biggest conversation is reducing waste. Uh, You know, we've seen this evolve, zero waste, low waste, you know, no waste. There's a new buzzword every minute, but the key is reducing waste. It's a huge initiative for brands as consumers prioritize sustainability and ethical earth-friendly processes. Anti-waste movements are taking hold, um, especially within food waste. You know, the UN recently estimated that 17% of total global food production is wasted, and some experts think that statistic is low. Uh, So we're seeing whole foods upcycled into products um, like upcycled avocados from brand Mustela, who uses it in their um, avocado bomb. We're seeing brands upcycle everything from fruit peels to fruit seeds, uh, BYBI, for example, uses fruit seeds left over from the juicing industry and uses them in their oils. Um, so looking to upcycle wherever we can. Um, also, brands like Fina London are looking beyond Whole Foods um, and finding innovative ways to reduce food oil waste. The brand upcycles cooking oil from restaurants into luxury candles, which, again, this kind of ingenuity we're going to need uh, to future-proof this category because resources are going to become more scarce. We're also going to need uh, a better circular product development uh, from brands. Uh, there is a huge gap in how much um, products consumers have and how much of those products they actually use. Uh, so much of products go to waste. So brands are taking it into their hands to manage that waste better. French probiotic brand Galinet, for example, um, recently offered shoppers the opportunity to purchase their products that are close to the expiration date at a 70% discount. Uh, We've seen similar initiatives with, for example, products that are still um, good, but perhaps that the packaging is not up to the brand standard, selling those for a discount. Um, And just looking to whatever zero waste um, initiatives uh, that can be implemented in order to turn it into a a less, less of a strain on the environment. We're also seeing a lot of interesting technology um, and innovation come out of reducing carbon emissions and um, drawing carbon emissions into actual products. We saw this first with carbon-captured ethanol fragrances. Um, We're seeing it now in some soaps, um, which um, we also saw um, Nivea's um, Climate Care Moisturizer, which is made with an ingredient obtained from recycled carbon dioxide. So again, trying to suck the pollutants and the toxins out of our atmosphere um, and turn them into products that we can and will actually use. And lastly, you know, in addition to regenerating the soil and creating better circular solutions, the last point in that is biodegradability. Uh, I think biodegradability will continue to be a huge uh, focus going forward. Uh, You know, the idea that consumers should have packaging that they can dispose of in their backyard and they will biodegrade uh, safely uh, for the environment. 
Also, of course, the topic of ocean biodegradability has become uh, a new point where it might be uh, biodegradable for soil, but not necessarily safe for our waterways. Uh, we've seen innovations like Ardell's Eco Lashes Collection with 100% sustainable fibers made in biodegradable um, paper carton packaging. And so we're seeing a lot of creativity and innovation. This space is still very new, but it's going to need to be essential in order to make use of what we have left um, in this climate. And reduction of waste, Harold. Is that a key environmental driver at CLR ingredients? It's one of the many environmental drivers we have in, in, in our quest to become more sustainable. Uh, we make natural ingredients, we obtain raw materials from natural sources, we use biotech, we use bacteria, we use algae to, to, to obtain active ingredients from, uh, we produce waste. Nobody is zero waste as far as I'm concerned, but that's a matter of definition, obviously. Uh, we use water. Uh, can we reduce the, the production of waste? Can we reduce the use of water? These are constant processes we're, uh, we're looking at. Can we reduce the, uh, the energy we consume, we have to use for our production processes and our offices, etc. This is a constant uh, challenge and a constant quest. We've put on solar panels, panels on, on the whole of our production facilities, which is, which is a big surface area. These kinds of things we we uh, we do and 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 put forward and new ideas are put forward as well to become more sustainable. Uh, one of the challenges in for the cosmetic industry as a whole, I think, uh, uh, when it comes to sustainability, is transport. Uh, we tend to be quite sustainable, and we will be more sustainable in the future. Our customers are increasingly more sustainable as well in their in their operations and processes they have in place but between our companies we see uh transport meaning the raw material getting from point a to b where the customer produces it uh and 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 so on we sent a lot of stuff uh with the plane to places like china or north america because you know, our customer wants our product tomorrow and not uh, in a month's time, for instance. That's a matter of planning and all these things. Um, so that is a huge challenge, we think, for the cosmetic industry as a whole to not just work, you know, on our little islands everywhere, but as, above all, work together in becoming more sustainable. And that will lead Jane. Circularity, is that a key environmental driver? Yes, it's absolutely critical. Um, we, we we grow uh, most of our plant-based ingredients. Um, and if we don't grow it ourselves, then we grow it through 50 uh, partnerships that we have with farmers around the world. So I always like to think of Walida as a farming company. Um, we start with the soil. And I was smiling, Mallory, when you were talking about carbon capture soap. It's really easy to carbon capture, you grow things in the ground organically or biodynamically. We, we farm biodynamically, which is like a, a super organic. Um, it's a kind of cross between organic farming, permaculture, and really working in harmony with the land and with the biodiversity. So, you know, first of all, first and foremost, we talk about circularity, everything that we take from the land in terms of all of the herbs and plants that we grow, will be returned to the land. And one of the 
key tenets of biodynamic farming is you only use in your farming and on the soil things that come out of your garden or come out of the field. So uh, all of the waste ingredients go back into our composting. We grow certain types of plants to make uh, what we call preps and sprays, so things like silica spray. Um, and it's all to do with building up not the fertility in the soil, because that's conventional agriculture, but the um, fungi and bacteria and mycorrhizomes in the soil, because it's how alive a soil, the soil is will then mean that the plant is more healthy because 18 of all the 20 plant nutrients that, that a plant needs to grow and to be healthy actually don't come from photosynthesis and don't come from the soil itself, but come as byproducts from, from the, the bacteria and the fungi within the soil. So circularity is super important for us. We also set ourselves very stretch targets. So we look to reduce um, our water usage every year. We too, as, as Harold was mentioning, uh, we generate our own electricity uh, and power um, through uh, through solar, uh, and that's uh, for across all of our manufacturing. And we are always looking to reduce waste. Um, so things like um, you know, we still ship across the world, which isn't great, I have to say, um, because at the moment we can't use electric vehicles to bring products in or in from, from Switzerland or Germany, which is where our manufacturing bases are. Um, so that is still a problem. So what we are now doing is looking at the, the whole carbon life of our products. So from, from how we grow it all the way through to what's known as scope through emissions. So the uh, emissions that we use when we're consuming a product, um, you know, and how we consume it, maybe in the shower, in the bath, and the impact that's going to have. And at the moment, the only route we have is to look at offsetting um, through soil regenerative uh, projects and planting trees. It's not ideal. Uh, everybody's on a journey. But what we do try to do is to track every input and every output. So at least we have transparency. At least we're being responsible. Because I agree, Harold, there, there isn't a beauty company on the planet that at the moment can say they're doing more good than harm. I think most of us are trying to do more good than harm, but it's a very long journey because even just getting the product onto the shelf of the retailer or delivered, you know, if you buy it from Amazon or wherever to your home has a big impact on the planet. And the final thing I'll say is that I mentioned about the proof pointing um, tech system from Provenance. What has been fantastic is that um, they use their system on um, an online website called Cult Beauty. And they can survey the shopping habits um, uh, of, of what, what we're buying and what we're looking at and what proof pointing we're asking for. Um, and the latest reports, uh, which was studying the shopping habits of 23,000 beauty shoppers over 12 months, said that the three key things that we're all really concerned about is number one, ingredients, number two, packaging, which I'll come on to, and number three, animal welfare. Um, so none of us have talked about the biggest problem in beauty is the fact that all of our products are packaged in plastic and we haven't got a recycling solution for that. Some countries are better than others. Many countries just burn the plastic or send it to landfill or even worse, send it over to Indonesia or India where it becomes a major problem. 
And so when we talk about circularity, the greatest challenge for the beauty industry today is, is actually how we packaged our products and what we do about the surfeit of plastic packaging. I find it incredible that we can create, you know, the most beautiful skincare cream and put it in a pot. And the skincare cream lasts us, what, for six weeks? Of that pot's going to be around for over a thousand years. And that is a problem that we have to tackle. And we have to tackle it soon because it's our problem. We, we need to own it. Indeed. And talking proof systems, Mallory, what are the current regulation fashion snoops have been tracking that are aiding and abetting the future proofing of wellness and beauty category? Well, my thoughts here are twofold. Um, first, there's been a lot of discussion heating up recently about the use of psychedelics for treating certain mental health issues and emotional challenges. And the research and the conversation has been very intriguing. Certainly, we've seen, of course, CBD, uh, the CBD track uh, become mainstream. But we're curious to see what lies ahead for the controlled use of psychedelics. We've seen psychedelic adjacent compounds like kava added to products like mood boosting beverages. But if governmental regulations begin to change, that could have huge ramifications for beauty and wellness products, as well as for mental health treatments, and also reshaping the way that consumers view um, how they treat their mental health, how they go about their wellness routine. Does it involve a controlled small use of psychedelics? Um, we don't know. Um, it's up to governments to regulate that, but it will, it will certainly be intriguing to see how that changes moving forward. And then my next thought concerning governmental regulations is simply that we need more of them in order to future-proof wellness and beauty. One of the biggest threats to the industry is losing consumer trust. And the easiest way to lose consumer trust is through misleading advertising, toxic chemicals or products, and unsubstantiated claims. This is where the governments can really step in and help to provide regulations and guidance. The U.S. is, of course, one of the worst culprits in terms of its federal response to beauty regulation. Uh, the U.S. has seen individual states implement some legislation, but we're far, far, far from the strident standards of countries like Germany, for example, when it comes to ingredient efficacy or safety, or Australia's standards when it comes to sunscreen formulation and marketing. I think a key avenue for future-proofing this industry is for international governments to become more aligned and unified on this issue and to begin to take it more seriously. And also for countries like the U.S. that are seriously lagging to introduce legislation to help standardize and regulate the industry for the better. And Harold, do you ever think that governments will come together uh, regarding regulations for ingredients? No, of course not. <laughs> they will come together, but they will not find uh, a common ground when it comes to uh, more regulations or more strict regulations or more defined, let's say, guidelines to what you can and cannot do as an industry. And I think uh, that would be utopia to uh, to uh, to expect that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the industry should just take more responsibility as, as such. I think we don't need more re regulations. We need a more serious industry. And of course, they're going to always want to be cowboys and, and, and big or small companies which, which make horrendous claims uh, where the authorities will might find them or might not, depending on uh, the capacity of the authorities. There's mostly just a few people working in these kinds of uh, departments where they check on the cosmetic industry and see what 
they claim or cannot or claim or not claim, etc. Um, I think as, as a whole, companies like the L'Oreal's and the Unilever's and the Procter and Gamble's, but also the Veleda's and 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 uh, you know these kinds of companies who have an international presence need to be and communicate need to be need to be serious and communicate seriously to their to their consumers and 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 you know provide traceability of you know whatever they do where does my ingredient come from be transparent to uh, towards the consumer and i think we see brands in the industry in, in in the market which are relatively transparent or are relatively open and clear about you know their formulations and and the impact of their products on their skin or on people's skin or hair and these 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 brands tend to be ra rather um, successful so there is definitely appreciation uh, for these kinds of brands when it comes to the consumers so i think that is really the main thing the, the industry needs to be become more seriously and when it comes to regulations of course there are regulations when when it comes to claims on the other hand as i said just now the competent authorities who check on the industry don't have much capacity uh, i think uk is is very well developed when it comes to these kinds of things with the asa and clearcast and these kinds of uh, organizations but but countries well developed country like like here in germany there's just a few people checking on the industry um, so that is definitely a problem or a challenge. I don't like to think of problems. I like to see things as challenges and opportunities and all these things. But essentially, that is the key um, a message I have. The industry should just, you know, start to become more serious or at least become more trust trustworthy as an industry. The consumer doesn't trust the industry as it is uh they use our products because our products make them feel good but trust is not necessarily there as far as i can interpret so trust should the industry be self-regulated or government regulated jane what do you believe i think i think it has to be in partnership doesn't it i don't like this idea that the industry is and this is historic in um, you're know, trying not in partnership with government and you know we've we have that as a background don't we we hear about the lobbyists and trying to push things through to make it easy easier for for industry not necessarily talking about beauty um, I work uh, alongside the team at um, the British Beauty Council in the UK and I'll talk a little bit about the UK rather than a global perspective because Harold's just mentioned we we do have some really good partnerships with government and actually some really great legislation that I think is if you like building the framework for what good practices in our industry so at um, British Beauty Council we have pulled the industry together uh, we commissioned a white paper called The Courage to Change, and we have an industry group of us that are now working, been working together for over two years to look to see how not just we can um, self-regulate, that is super important, but actually how we can help each other and how we can open source and how we can look at some of the, talk about some of these really big topics together. In a couple of weeks' time, we have directors from some of the, the key beauty companies globally coming together just for a short workshop, but to talk about the issues of, of, of plastic packaging and to share best practice and what we're working on. There'll be another white paper coming out of that. And we're doing it in partnership with government. 
I think the work that the UK government have done over the last couple of years has been really quite groundbreaking. Uh, we now have the plastic tax, which um, in which every producer has to produce a report at the end of the year, which shows how much plastic's been used um, and how much has gone to landfill, how much can be recycled, how much recyclable plastic is in the plastic we're using versus virgin. And there is a tax for that. Um, at the moment, it's quite a low tax, I have to say. I've heard some companies say, we'll just pay the tax because actually it's very low. But it's the start of the journey of something called producer responsibility, in which we are made to be 100% responsible, not just for our products and the safety of our products and the efficacy, but also the whole supply chain in terms of what ingredients we're using, what packaging we're using. And going to your point earlier about circular, what happens to the end state of the product? And I really welcome that. And I believe the industry really welcomes that. Harold mentioned about something called ClearCast. Well, what's ClearCast? Well, every single advert you see on the television has to go through a rigorous vetting process. And ClearCast is the uh, organizational board of experts that will really challenge every brand. And I can speak from the heart because later we've just, um, we're just about to put a new advert on the television. I know how robust that process is. And I think it's it's a masterclass. And it's something that, you know, maybe we should be exporting that 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 knowledge because it's really incredible. When you do see something on the television and the claims, they will be fully substantiated and supported. And then the final thing that I think we do really well here in the UK is that the Competition Emerges Authority, which is again part of the government, um, produced something called the Green Claims Guide, where they looked at four different industry sectors, so things like food and beauty and so on, um, and said, we have a real problem here with brands claim that brand claims because brands are being irresponsible and they have produced a guide and they are now starting to actually look at um, taking brands to court if brand a brand is saying something that isn't true. So things like, as I say, plastic tax, the green claims guide, the clear cast checking of ads is really great. And I am really pleased to say that the industry and certainly my interaction with the industry as part of the Sustainable Beauty Coalition is that we all want it. We all want to be responsible. We all want to make a difference responsibly. The challenge that we've got is the fact that we're all working in silos. And the, the, the whole big issue that we have about the climate emergency is none of us can afford to work in silos. We will get there faster by going together. And finally, Mallory, is open source the future of wellness and beauty? Well, I think, and just looking back at the past five years of evolution within wellness and beauty, uh, I'm so excited to see what the next five years will bring. Um, certainly open source, among other um, topics, will continue to grow. Uh, broadly speaking, though, I think we can expect to see more elevated options and better functionality. So what will this look like? Some examples might include a fusion of skincare into other categories. Of course, we're all familiar with the skinification movement and topical facial level actives being used in hair, body, hand, foot, and nail products. I think we will definitely expect to see more of that. Certainly better performing multifunctional products. Again, speaking to that consumer need for less but better products and also more advanced Nutri-Cosmetics options. Uh, you know, some of the science is still out on Nutri-Cosmetics, but there has been some intriguing research. So I think um, 
certainly with better tech um, and improved formulations, we're going to see uh, more streamlined um, and more efficient nutracosmetics. Also, as the research and technology behind our beauty and wellness routines improves and becomes more accessible, I think the next five years we'll really see the more widespread adoption of personalization devices that I spoke to before, as well as um, better do-it-yourself at-home spa treatments, as well as more beauty tech devices. We also expect to see more tool options as consumers embrace daily beauty rituals as a necessary part of the routine and not an occasional self-care moment. We also, of course, expect to see sustainable options grow and evolve with better packaging solutions, more responsible and trackable ingredient sourcing, and more investments by brands into the communities who grow essential ingredients for their products. We also expect to see expanded options for overlooked needs to really help open up the beauty and wellness industry to more consumers who previously felt left out in some categories. Um, so examples like facial hair, the Skinny Confidential, for example, debuted a facial shaving cream and microblade, um, body acne, body ingrowns, body hair, um, armpit you know, care, all of these things have become less taboo and brands are really looking to try and find ways to innovate and open up the market and, and make more consumers feel acknowledged and validated and that there's now a good solution to their issues. So I think that will help um, give the uh, industry more legs going forward. And solution solving, Harold, at CLR, what does the next five years look like? In the next five years, we try to or we hope to have more knowledge about what is wellness and what is health, what is good, you know, biologically, you know, it's, it's relatively easy or not relatively easy as compared to positive biology. Negative biology is relatively easy. Negative biology, meaning I got a problem. I try to find a solution. Positive biology, meaning something's good here, but why is it good? Why is a person healthy or why is a person feeling good? Uh, and of course, that's where uh, biology comes in, literally, and and cell biology, and 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 immuno immunology, and hormones, and all these things. And in five years' time, we hope to understand more about this this let's say positive aspect of 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 human human beings uh, biology in combination with its psychology, because biology and psychology are are very closely intertwined. So that is something we really hope to be further with uh we want to basically develop an active ingredient in the coming five years possibly 10 years where we you know we we have the ingredient and this ingredient improves well-being on a person who's not stressed or just wants to have a nice skincare cream and we want to sell this product to veleda but also to biasdorf which they put in nivea and both the veleda product and the nivea product will increase improve well-being that's a huge challenge. I don't know how to uh, answer to this challenge at the moment. Possibly in five years' time, we'll know a bit more. And positive biology, is that the future of wellness and beauty at Walida, Jane? Yeah, I was just thinking, Harold, can't wait for that one. Wellness, wellness in a bottle, that'd be amazing. Um, yes, of course it is. Positive biology. We are part of nature. We are from nature. We are nature. I really hope that what we're going to see over the next five years is we stop putting synthetics onto our skin and that we understand that our biology 
uh, you know, we are akin to nature. Our whole body systems are aligned to nature. We've become so separate from nature and we need to get back to nature. We need to start using natural products, not products derived from petrochemicals that are dead, but products that have vitality and life ingredients that that are living. I think it's we're going to see a real resurgence or maybe not resurgence, but an awakening of the importance of our microbiome already mentioned about it in the soil we talk about it about gut health but actually our skin is a living breathing organ it's the largest organ that we have in the body and understanding that you know 90 percent of all the organisms in our body are not ours but they belong to the bacteria and the fungi and we live it symbiotically together but what we put on our skin feeds them and so you know what if we're using a particular chemical that kills bacteria as an antiperspirant is killing the bad bacteria. It's also killing the good bacteria. And actually what we need to do is to learn to live in harmony with the good bacteria. And again, things like mouthwash that kills bad bacteria in your mouth, it's also killing the good bacteria as well. So really understanding that what we put on our skin, what we put in our bodies um, actively affects our well-being directly affects our well-being and we need to have a symbiotic relationship so microbiome friendly um, active biology and also very practical things like can we have more solid formulations and less water can we stop transporting water around the world can we look at um uh, we were talking earlier Mallory was mentioning about making your own products um you know having having the ingredients and then adding water there's that's a massive trend wouldn't it be great to think that we could act actively stop personalizing our own products that we could move away from great big tubs of shampoo and great big tubs of of shower gel into solids and and that will have a massive impact. And then the final thing is taking responsibility for the carbon emissions that we create by using products and being really responsible. So 60% of the carbon um, created is actually created by the consumer at Walida. Um, and so what we're going to do is actively work to look to see how we can make products that are more responsible in terms of how we use them and that activates our wellness of our body and not actively work against nature. And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Mallory, Harold and Jane for joining me today and for you for listening. <laughs>